Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Riordan verse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. Today we continue our timeline journey with The Battle of the Labyrinth, Chapter 7, Tyson Leads a Jailbreak, and Chapter 8, We Visit the Demon Dude Ranch. Just to apologise, I'm sorry for no episode last week. If you guys aren't already following us on our social media at Best Damn Camp Pod on Twitter and Instagram, I put an update there as to basically life got a little bit complicated, mental health went a little bit bad. So sorry for no episode last week, but I am recording multiple episodes this week, I promise. And so there will definitely be more episodes coming for the rest of November. Also, big news on my part, I have finished the first draft of my novel and I am bloody thrilled my guys um and yeah so that was something that kind of helped improve my mood after everything that was going on last week so uh I'm feeling good and I'm ready to dive in so as always I have my points to focus on so today we've got characters story and generally what I thought of it but to begin here's the synopsis Never meet your heroes, kids. It could end in potential death by poison. Emotional immaturity is rampant, with emotions as a whole running high as we run into more monsters, danger, and flesh-eating horses. What on earth could happen next? Probably death, if we're honest here. And that's pretty much the overview for Chapter 7 and Chapter 8. I'm not going to kind of tiptoe around we're just going to dive right on in here uh, I do want to say actually because I realized I didn't mention this I know I said it wasn't going to dilly dally but it's happening now um our p- podcast theme musician Taylor Paisley French who obviously you are hearing at the start with his fantastic music he has had a new song those in suits feet ever thought that Everthorpe sounds out for a while now so if you aren't already checking him out be sure to go do so and listen to his latest song he will be having a lyric music video coming out soon if not out already by the time this drops um and yeah go support Taylor Paisley French he's a fantastic guy and a fantastic musician but moving on from more shout outs let us get into chapter seven Tyson leads a jailbreak And this is the overview for chapter 7. Danger is incoming until our team run right into it, but it's a different kind of danger this time. Alcatraz is home to monsters. Alright, okay, I'll bite. A new creature of old is introduced, and we learn once more that Percy does not understand timing or empathy. Then an intelligent moment happens, 
before danger returns. Tyson is a bloody hero through and through and deserves way more love and attention from fans and this story, but we'll get to that. Tyson's hero, Breries, and yes, I'm probably saying that wrong, fails at expectations, but our team make it back to the labyrinth and keep running. And that's pretty much the overview for chapter seven. So I'm going to just dive right into my comment bits. And if you can tell from that little bit of an overview, I've got a few things to say about Percy. So let's start with characters. And really, it's only to do with Percy. Because I've got complaints. Are we shocked, guys? No, no, we're really not. When do I not have complaints anymore? Of course, to preface everything as per usual, I love the Percy Jackson book series. I just am critical because I can be. And if you don't, you can't not be critical of stuff. I think that's the thing here. You can love things and still be critical. Just saying. Anyway, Percy's emotional development hasn't gone anywhere. We're on the fourth book and he's basically the same emotional, emotional wise as the first book. Like he has some great moments of understanding and growth, but they just don't stick around. It like he, it's like he reverts back at the start of every book to where he was before. Or at least that's how it feels to me. His attitude with Rarys and Annabeth in these recent chapters is just an example of that to me. He just doesn't seem to recognise when to stop, or the fact that his words... Oh, sometimes he does even realise it, but he, he continues to do it. Like, he is quite insensitive and he's regularly being insensitive even when he realises he needs to stop being it and has realised multiple times in the past but he just kind of keeps being insensitive in that case and I just find it frustrating like it could be played off as him being a teenage uh, being a teenage boy at first but he's 14 nearly 15 I think in this book he should have had some intellectual and emotional growth across four books and nearly four years or close or or, or actually four years after experiencing everything that he's gone through he's experienced death he's experienced murder he's nearly been murdered himself he's nearly lost lots of his friends he's he's lost a lot and yet he doesn't seem to really grow from anything that he's gone through or experienced he seems to just kind of ignore it and revert back to his emotional immaturity and it's possible that it's from the trauma of everything that he's gone through that is leading to him kind of continuing to act the same way similar to if anyone uh knows Legend of Korra Korra in book two has a similar thing or at least in my opinion she does, and I did a video about that to do with understanding book two, Cora's attitude about denial. So it's possible he's doing that, but honestly, I feel like that's just giving the writing of Percy's emotional growth a bit too much credit, because I don't think that is what it is at all, because it just doesn't ever change. Everything that he's gone through never seems to actually have a lasting effect. He has moments of guilt, but like, he he continues to just be really insensitive in certain moments and it just never seems to stop. I know there are people who, like, 
I can be that way sometimes myself admittedly and that is just the fact that I can't always recognize body language elements in, in when I should stop I've come to recognize it more because after a while if I'm talking about a lot of things people zone out because they don't want to listen to me anymore so I'm starting to recognize it a little bit but it's not the case all the time so maybe that's the case with Percy possibly that he has this whole thing of not realizing but we've seen that he's realized when he shouldn't have said stuff and yet he continues to do it four years later after like it just it's just frustrating to me that I feel like he hasn't changed much over a f over four books he just feels like the same character whereas other characters feel like they've grown more so it's just frustrating to me I don't know I'm probably the only one who who sees and feels that but whatever um it's just something that I wish like he had a bit more character growth as a character but I don't know anyway the next point for this is this chapter feels like a setup like it doesn't feel like a chapter that actually has anything worth giving but has the sense that what's happening in this chapter is going to have significance later on like nothing of significance is actually introduced in this chapter except for basic information about the last titan war to do with the hundred-handed ones and the cyclops uh, we're introduced to a somewhat significant and important character who represents Tyson's hero and also is a hundred-handed one and was involved with the, t the first titan war and we get this insight to the fact that there's worsening weather over Mount Tam because well we love a bit of explicit pathetic fallacy but in regards to foreboding but nothing that happens in this chapter really feels that important at the time like it just feels like this is all setting up for something that happens later or has significance later so it makes this chapter just feels like a really random filler and there this is the problem that i do have with percy jackson in general there are so many pointless filler chapters that it just it frustrates me to no end and this is just another one for me but you get this the only difference with this one is that you can kind of tell that this is just a setup for something that comes later because of this kind of honing in on the importance of the hundred-handed ones in the titan in the first titan war and their involvement in the first titan war but that's kind of it so it's frustrating i'm like why can't but just make the chapter if, if this is meant to be set up fine but actually have something of significance happen in this chapter i just the chapter just feels a little bit bland as a whole because you can tell that the only reason this chapter is there is because it's meant to set up for something that happens later and that's just that's not a good excuse to have a chapter because if that's all it's doing then it just feels really insignificant at the time because you don't know what it's setting up like if you're reading that normally like not how i'm doing it which is like two chapters at a time and really diving into them you would just think oh that's a bit of a random chapter and then kind of move on and then you get to the end and you're like oh okay so that's why but set up set up chapters are fine but they need to have something else there 
that is of importance at that moment to then kind of justify that chapter being there for set up for something later oh no it's just it's frustrating to me that this is just a regular occurrence that sometimes there are chapters that are they're only there to set something up for future there's no other reason for them except for that and like you you need something else really like even if it's something small to have a significance for what's going on in that moment and not for the future I don't know I don't know if I'm making any sense but hopefully you guys get what I mean um but anyway let's let's just move on to chapter eight we visit the demon dude ranch and this is the overview for chapter eight Tyson's hero is no longer a hero. Our heroes take a welcomed break and Percy learns understanding and empathy before having another prophecy based dream that is getting on my nerves now. The new day begins with continuing their walk and Percy being his normal reckless self. <sighs> we go full American and a t- with a Texas style ranch i don't really know what Texas. i'm gonna go with probably what this stereotypical uh ranch horseback film horsey film things that i've seen here and there as to what that image is um anyway um and introduce once again moody and aggressive nico d'angelo our ranch owner is a monster annabeth and grover are brilliant animal activists and nico is an idiot with Nico's life on the line and the news that someone paid for our gang to have safe travel, Percy makes a bet. He'll clean a stable of flesh-eating horses for all their safety, much to Nico's protest. Boy, shut up! And it hasn't been cleaned in a thousand years. Should be easy, right? <sighs> and that is chapter eight. And if you can tell from a few bits, I'm really frustrated with Nico as a character. <laughs> Like, really frustrated. But then the fact that we also get the bloody dreams again about Daedalus and Icarus and King Minos and all these sort of things. Because we also, then in this chapter, learn that Nico's ghost is King Minos, who we've just had the dream about in this same exact bloody chapter. And it's... Why have it? Why have it? why what is the point of these flashback daedalus stories except to give us the actual information like this is this is just pointless telling and not showing we're told that king minos and shown but mainly told that he was a terrible human being and you know is the reason for all these horrible stuff going on and then we find out, oh, Nico's working with a bad ghost because he's the one who was torturing Daedalus and his son. Ah, oh, he's working with a bad guy. Ah, oh, I'm like... Could we not have just learnt this organically? Just, no, apparently not. That's just... The dream stuff and the Daedalus dream stuff are the most irritating parts of the Battle of the Labyrinth because they're so bloody dumb and pointless there's no point to them because we're learning the information at the same bloody time in the same chapter 
we're finding out what's happening with King Minos and that the ghost that Nico is working with is King Minos in literally three pages apart. Like, I'm just, I'm finding it really frustrating that the prophecy, and this in this case it's not even a prophecy dream, it's literally just hey, this is information you'll need to know, so we're going to, we're going to give it to you, and then we're going to show it to you again. But in the modern-day context, I'm like, just don't have it. Just have the information that Minos is the ghost that Nico is working with. And because, per- because Percy's bloody useless and still hasn't learned anything about mythology, have Annabeth realise who that is and that he's a bad guy and have her say it because Percy is useless and still hasn't learned it and it's frustrating me to me even now that four years later he still hasn't learned anything about the things that he is connected to just have her say instead of having the bloody dreams have her do that have her say wait Benos the, the evil king or something like that I don't know instead of having the dream just get rid of that because firstly the chapter's long enough already get rid of that whole aspect of the whole Icarus flying like, it was a really pointless scene as well Icarus flying too close to the sun and then obviously dying a death um King Minos being a dick it's just like the whole thing was just so pointless I just yeah I wasn't going to talk about it in this because it irritates me so much but it's happened now so I'll get into what I was actually going to talk about which is characters and I want to talk about Nico. <sighs> Nico is really annoying. I know he's people's most loved character. I honestly don't get why. I, if someone can explain it to me in a polite way, so don't be a dick about it obviously, but if someone can explain to me why he's people's favourite character, please do because I just don't understand it because he's such an idiot. <laughs> This mythomagic and mythology-obsessed kid doesn't remember t- the, s- the known story of Minos and the terrible stuff that he did. And th- he doesn't seem to have a problem with it. You know, this guy who murdered people for fun, sacrificed people for fun. Like, he is a brutal murderer. And this kid who is obsessed, or at least was, and that information doesn't disappear, obsessed with mythology because of the mythomagic game, you would think he knows this. And the fact that he knows who King Manos is as well gives this intention that he's even more of an idiot because he's willingly working with a sociopath or maybe even a psychopath, someone who basically got off on killing people and the power of being able to do it without any consequence because he was a king like this is the dumbest plot point ever like why is he being why is he working in trusting a king who is well known for being manipulative cruel and out for his own gain in history like I know this. I know this from, like, that's what he's always betrayed us because King Minos is a manipulative bugger. It's it's well known in mythology, all the stuff that he's done. Like, he's the one with the Minotaur who sacrificed people to the Minotaur. Like, eh. And I just, I don't understand the reasoning. And this, 
well, if it's explained later, it's fine or why I don't think it is. But it's just, it's really irritating. Like, Nico isn't dumb. But apparently, he is now. And I'm like, whether it's just reckless grief, but even then it kind of doesn't come across about like that. He just, he's a really just angry kid. Like, the first thing he does when he sees Percy is draw his sword on him. And thinks Percy is there to kill him. Like, I don't understand that logic at all whatsoever. Like, why does he... I know the whole skeleton thing in the previous book was something that was a big deal. But, like, it was clear that Percy didn't summon them. And then Percy was trying to protect him. And, but... Surely Nico would have been able to work. I don't know. It's just it's really confusing. Nico is a confusing and infuriating character to me. He is in so much grief and justifiable that he is grieving because obviously everything that happened and Chiron is an idiot because he let a thirteen-year-old deal with, or maybe four. I don't know. I don't care. Thirteen, fourteen-year-old tell a ten, eleven-year-old. Hey, yeah, your sister's dead sorry mate so of course he's going to be grieving but his actions make no logical sense to me even from a grieving perspective it just feels really weird and out of place maybe it's just me but I'm just it's really peeving me off a little bit because it just doesn't make any logical sense it just doesn't make any sense in general not even logic based it just doesn't make any sense and there's no explanation given for it and there's no reason for this to be happening. But, I don't know. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the story. Because... This this chapter is frustrating me. Because this chapter really only offers small, important elements. The reintroduction of Nico, The fact that someone wants our hero to continue their journey. And that's pretty much it. This chapter generally doesn't makes sense and just feels really pointless if I'm honest like the intros we get in this can come elsewhere and it'll be fine like this this whole chapter is completely insignificant other than these small things that can have been they could have been put elsewhere like it just seems like a random pointless side quest and I'm getting frustrated by it side quests that honestly are just something that really that happen far too often in Percy Jackson books and it just I know this is something that happens in Greek mythology. I totally get that. It's a Greek mythology thing. Like, all the great journeys take forever because of all the side quests. But in a novel, in a kid's story, you're, lo- you're losing me, mate. You're losing me. Because it just doesn't feel important. Stick to the main narrative. Everything that's happening here, and from the chapter titles for the next one as well, just feel really unimportant and just it's like for anyone who plays D&D or Call of Cthulhu it's like when someone's just kind of like hey there's a there's a door here it's not got any significance but I want to go check it out actually and then go and do that and just kind of messing about with it and just kind of not really doing anything because uh I got time I don't I don't really want to do the main quest right now I'm going to do something random instead that's what this feels like it feels like a random insignificant side quest that has no 
reasoning for actually being involved in the story and just makes no sense for why it's in the story I don't know it's just what what's the point <laughs> I think it's my thing here what is the point of everything that's happening in this chapter there is no point because the whole reintroducing Nico technically we've had but we haven't had him meeting our heroes yet they could have met him somewhere else they could have met bumped into him in the labyrinth they could have met him anywhere else and it wouldn't have changed a darn thing nothing would have changed if they'd met him somewhere else literally nothing every chapter should have significance in some way the fact that this element of Nico being met somewhere else could easily just be taken from this and put somewhere else shows that this chapter as a whole is a problem because nothing actually of importance happens here even the fact that like someone wants our heroes to continue their journey could have been put somewhere else like technically Campe in the previous chapter that would have been a significant thing mentioned there where she heard maybe like Percy's name and she realised who they were and she stops instantly she stops trying to fight them that would have been interesting that would have made the previous chapter more significant the moment someone says Percy when she's about to kill him for example she pauses and steps back and everyone's like wait what what in the Hades what are you doing and she's like you're lucky you're you're lucky this time Percy Jackson I've been given instructions as has everyone else to not interfere with your journey and then the team quickly run off just being like what what the heck does that mean like that would have been significant that would have made the last chapter interesting and significant and important and also this chapter as a whole wouldn't end the following chapter as well wouldn't need to be there because they're bloody insignificant there's no point to them there are too many chapters considering that this is I think Battle of the Labyrinth is one of the bigger books, actually, I believe. Yeah, I think it is, uh, other than The Lightning Thief. Maybe The Last Olympian is a little bit bigger. But Battle of the Labyrinth literally could have been cut down so significantly. Considering we're... where are we now? What page? We are 140 pages in and nothing's happened. Nothing of actual interest importance or or significance has happened yet is a problem (laughs) it shouldn't be taking 140 plus pages to actually get to the main thing that we're meant to be doing and then that's where we're getting at this point we're not anywhere near anything of significance or importance and we're 140 pages in that's that's a problem and just just dive into the story focus on the main event and stop with these pointless side quests and monster battles there's no point to them they're interesting kind sometimes some of them are a bit dumb but just you don't need them all the time we've had two monsters basically in in two chapters we had campy before and now we've got grayon and the other guy whose name I can't pronounce who's a son of Ares technically he's not a monster but like you know he's going to beat people up Grayon is a monster and then we've got the two-headed dog as well so we've got more monsters they run like a monster farm like stop bringing monsters (laughs) just stop it stop it get some help (laughs) 
I don't know. I just it could just be me just complaining for the sake of complaining, but I just feel like there are too many things that happen in this book that could so easily have been cut out. This not necessarily Rick's fault either. This is poor editing on in my opinion. Like I feel like the editor should have been more strict and cut some of these things out or asked for restructuring in some areas. Um and honestly, I find that a lot with some some of my favourite books as well. There are so many things that do happen in them that I'm just like an editor should have gotten involved here and said, Yeah, this this bit needs to go. Um, or this bit needs to change slightly so that bit can go. Oh no. I'm I'm gonna stop complaining now. Um <laughs> uh, but on that note though, actually, I I do wanna know, because this is oh, this is gonna get me so much hate. This week's question of the episode before I finish up here is what do you guys think of Nico D'Angelo in the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series? Uh, I'm intrigued to find out. People are going to hate me for the fact that I don't particularly like him. Um, if you send me dumb emails, um, blocked, reported, you know, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, so be kind when you're answering these questions. I'm intrigued to find out what you guys think of him as a character in, in this series alone. Obviously, don't talk about Heroes of Olympus um yeah just let me know what you think of nico d'angelo particularly i guess in the battle of the labyrinth but uh yeah let's get let's get into it but anyway <laughs> thank you all for joining me today for the battle of the labyrinth be sure to join me next wednesday as we continue our riordan verse journey to plug what you can find our podcast we are available on spotify where you should drop a follow apple podcast where you can leave a rating and a review Audioboom, Stitcher and Deezer and pretty much every podcast platform at the moment now as well. In the meantime between episodes you can find the Best Time Camp on various social media, our Best Time Camp pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to email me with your own thoughts you can email the Best Time Camp at hotmail.com and I will read it out at the end of the show. If you want to support me making this content check me out on Patreon at a healthy dose of Fran. Be sure to check out my YouTube channel at a healthy dose of Fran also for more Percy Jackson content and drop me a follow at Fran on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I'll see slash speak to you guys next time. Toodles. <laughs>